0: Chapter 2 of the Autobiography of George Dewey This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 2. At Annapolis At the time that I left Norwich, 1854, West Point had a great name as a disciplinary institution. There, boys had to obey. Annapolis was not then so well known as West Point, being only nine years old we owe the efficiency of the personnel of our navy to annapolis and we owe annapolis to george bancroft a man of singular versatility of talent and singular sturdiness and decisiveness of character he not only wrote the standard history of the united states which bears his name but he was also minister to berlin and secretary of the navy when he saw that with the development of naval science a school was as necessary for training officers for the navy as one for training officers for the army his proposition met with the immediate opposition of the veteran officers of the service their disparagement was sufficient to prevent congress from appropriating money to give the new institution a start but this did not discourage mr bancroft he went right ahead with what resources he could command At Annapolis there was old Fort Severn, which had been deserted. In want of funds for buildings, he secured the use of the buildings which had been occupied by the force that formerly manned the fort. The barracks, which had housed privates of artillery, became the dormitories of the future officers of the Navy. Henry H. Lockwood, a former army officer and a graduate of West Point, was appointed professor of mathematics and became the chief instructor most of the other instructors were civilians their assistants were young officers of the navy while the majority of the old officers poked fun at the idea one of the progressives franklin buchanan a marylander was bancroft's energetic aide in the organization of the academy buchanan resigned from the navy at the outbreak of the civil war but when he found that his own state maryland had not seceded he tried to withdraw his resignation this being refused he joined the enemy he commanded the merrimac in her raid in hampton roads at which time he was wounded this made him the hero of the confederate navy he was in command at mobile bay against farragut it is one of the anomalies of history that one who had such strict loyalty to states as opposed to national rights should have been the most conspicuous organizer of the school whose graduates in the spanish war struck the blows which did so much to unite the north and the south in a new feeling of national unity before the world too frequently credit for the naval academy has been given to buchanan rather than to bancroft it is related that bancroft used to get much out of patience with the old officers In those days the men on the captain's list received their assignments to ships in rotation without regard to their fitness. A great many of the captains were not only old, but their habits as the legacy of the hard-living days of the War of 1812 scarcely promoted efficiency in their declining years. Indeed, it was still the custom to serve out two rations of grog every day to the sailors, while officers of the broadside school did not limit themselves to any stated number. One of the veterans was so conspicuously unfit that Bancroft passed him by when it came his turn to have a ship. He wrote to the secretary in great indignation, wanting to know what he had done that he should have been overlooked in that fashion after a long career in his country's service. Bancroft wrote back, "'Nothing,' which was exactly what that captain had been doing for a good many years." Competitive examinations were not yet the rule in my time in choosing the candidates for either West Point or Annapolis. Appointments were due entirely to the political favor of representatives in Congress. There was no vacancy for West Point from Vermont. Otherwise, I might have gone into Manila Bay on an army transport instead of on the Olympia. But it happened that there was a vacancy at Annapolis. A boy by the name of George Spaulding of Montpelier received the appointment at first, but decided that he would not take it. My father, through his influence with Senator Foote, had me made Spaulding's successor. Spaulding became a distinguished clergyman. Perhaps he was better suited for that than to be a sailor. Certainly I was better suited to be a sailor than a clergyman. I recollect that he preached a sermon in honor of the victory of Manila Bay at his church in Syracuse my father accompanied me to annapolis where i was to try the entrance examination that was quite a journey into the world for a vermont youngster of antebellum days we went by rail to new york where we stopped at the irving house which was kept by a vermonter and was situated on broadway opposite a t stewart's great store which was then regarded as a kind of a eighth wonder of the world by all women shoppers father took me to the theater, where Burton, a famous comedian of the period, was playing. I had never seen a real stage comedian before, and I laughed so hard that I fairly lost control of myself, and my father made me leave the theater. The next day we started for Annapolis, which was then 12 hours journey from New York. First we took a steamer to Perth Amboy. From there we went by train to Philadelphia horses drew the car in which we went through the streets of philadelphia and we left this car at havre de grace i recall that we had luncheon on the steam ferry crossing the susquehanna we went through baltimore in the same way that we had through philadelphia in a railroad car drawn by horses at a trot with a brakeman blowing a horn for people and vehicles to get out of the way of the through express The entrance examination to the Naval Academy was very simple in those days, consisting chiefly of reading, writing, and arithmetic. I had the good fortune to pass. Before we started home, my father said to me, George, I've done all I can for you. The rest you must do for yourself. This advice I have always tried to keep in mind although the entrance examinations were easy the process of elimination was even more rigorous through that stiff four years course than at present 60 of us entered the academy in 54 and only 15 of us were graduated in 58 by the end of the first year 23 had been plucked i was number 33 out of the remaining 35 that old faculty of making things happen had given me 113 demerit marks 200 meant dismissal i was very poor in history and geography but excellent in mathematics which had pulled me through in the second year when nine more had been dropped i was ninth among the survivors my conduct marks had improved and i was even better now in french and spanish than in mathematics but still low in history on leaving the academy i was fifth among the fifteen who remained out of the original sixty as for geography i was to learn something of that in the harbors of the world my weakness in history i overcame later in life when i grew fond of reading as for tactics and gunnery in which i had also been low i had practice in the civil war which was far more valuable than any theory moreover the tactics and gunnery which i had been taught at the academy were soon to become quite antiquated as more progressive officers already understood i flatter myself that this accounted partially for my lack of interest in this branch The Academy at that time had not yet settled in its traditions, and naval science was in a transition period from sails to steam. All the graduates of the Academy were as yet juniors, and not of any considerable influence in the service. No retirement provision existed. The old captains, many of whom had been in the War of 1812, were brought up in wooden frigates and ships of the line. Their ideas were very fixed they had little charity for the innovations suggested by their juniors to them a naval officer must ever remain primarily a sailor but from them through the war of eighteen twelve the navy had a proud inheritance the history of that war on land with its untrained volunteer troops in which our capital was burned and our effort at the invasion of canada proved a fiasco hardly makes pleasant reading for any american who has the right kind of patriotism which never closes its eyes to facts but the ships of our little navy keeping to the traditions of our fast clippers and of decatur at tripoli by outrunning the enemy in overwhelmingly superior numbers closing in on him when terms were equal gave an account of themselves that thrilled the nation they fought the veterans of trafalgar according to their own methods these were terrible bloody encounters at close quarters that of the constitution and the guerriere was over in an hour that of the united states and the macedonian in an hour and a half and that of the hornet and peacock in fourteen minutes the spirit of the lessons which the british learned in the napoleonic wars they met in us it meant boarding with the cutlass when the ships were alongside after they had been raped fore and aft with gunfire tactics and gunnery were very simple then, compared to the present, when action may begin at a distance of six or seven miles. The boys who came to Annapolis from all parts of a big expanse of a country not yet nationalized by the broad community of thought and intelligence of today had to be welded by the spirit of corps into a common life and purpose. When you enter the academy, you cease to be a Vermonter, or a Georgian, or a Californian you are in the navy your future with its sea service and its frequent changes of assignment makes you first a man of the country's service and only second a man of the world your associations all your life are with the men of your first comradeship of study and discipline my fellow midshipmen in annapolis were the officers who rising grade by grade held the important commands of squadrons and ships afloat and were the commandants of navy yards and the heads of bureaus ashore during the spanish war in the fifties we were still almost exclusively an agricultural nation our population was hardly a third of what it is at present personal wealth and luxury were limited to a few of the older cities the midshipman of today with his fine quarters his shower bath his superior and varied diet His football stadium, his special trains to the annual army and navy games, expresses the change that has come over the life of the nation as a whole. We now practice as well as preach the precept that all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. In my days at Annapolis, we had no system of athletics except our regular military drill there was no adequate gymnastic apparatus the rule was one endless grind of acquiring knowledge our only amusement within the walls of the academy was the stag hop on saturdays held in the basement of the old recitation hall we were all vigorous boys or we could not have passed the physical entrance examination and we were being trained for a career that required dash and physical spirits under such restraint there were bound to be outbreaks and such infractions of discipline as not only would not be tolerated but would not occur today. Every midshipman had his nickname, of course, as every one has had from the inception of the academy and still has, and mine was Shang Dewey. I confess I do not know how it originated. Hazing was rife. It was accepted as a part of the curriculum in whipping raw youths whose egotism may have been overdeveloped by fond parents into the habit of comradeship and the spirit of corps. The excuse for it in its rigor of my time no longer exists under the present organization, however. I fear, too, that the faculty did not always receive the respect that they should have received. An assistant professor called Bull was at one time captured and imprisoned in a glass-wall-case in the chemical laboratory as an expression of midshipman disapproval. Such actions, if inexcusable, had the palliation of a course which was without athletics or amusement, and of the youth of the academy, which had not yet found itself as an institution. However, I believe that rowdyism was then far more common in civilian colleges than it is today and if in later times as instructors the men of my day would not permit such infractions it was proof of our realization of their utter subversion of military principles while in recollection of our own close confinement we did provide for athletics and other forms of relaxation which left no excuse for ebullitions of an insubordinate nature fistic arbitration of grievances between two midshipmen, I believe, still prevails on the supervision of upper classmen as the court of honour, in spite of the close observation of the commandant. There were numbers of them in my time, and they were privately acknowledged, if openly discouraged, by the instructors as the manly way to settle differences. I looked after an affair of my own without waiting on any formality. A cadet who sat opposite me called me a name at mess which no man can hear without redress. I did not lose a second, and springing around the table I went for him and beat him down under the table before we were separated. Now, that was a pretty serious infraction of discipline at mess. The combatants were brought up before the superintendent, Captain L.M. Goldsborough, later the well-known rear-admiral of the Civil War, who asked me why I had made the attack. I told him the name which my classmate had called me he said that i could not have done anything else Find me ten demerits and assured the fellow whom i had thrashed that he had got exactly what he deserved that i thought was a very sensible decision captain george s blake who was superintendent for the last three years that i was at annapolis married a daughter of commodore baron who it will be remembered killed decatur in a duel mrs blake had a warm place in the hearts of all the annapolis graduates of my time she was very kind to us in a day when the acting midshipman saw little of home life thanks to captain Goldsborough, blake's predecessor we had our barracks heated by steam and also the luxury of gas lamps we lived two in a room And had to make our own beds and sweep our own rooms but negro women who came in at stated intervals did the scrubbing there were as a rule less than a hundred midshipmen all told so that we came to know one another well of course all the underclassmen looked forward to the glorious day when they should go on furlough at the end of their second year as has ever been the custom we had a song that expressed the feelings in anticipation of that long leave absence of boys who had known an unremitting grind far from home. Come, all ye gallant middies who are going on furlough, we'll sing the song of liberty we're going for to go. Take your tobacco lively and pass the plug around, we'll have a jolly time tonight before we're homeward bound. Our sweethearts waiting for us with eyes brimful of tears will welcome us back home again, from an absence of two years. The uh, reference to the plug of tobacco uh, is to a habit in the United States which readers of Dickens' American Notes will recall excited the author's fervent comment. I always joined in the song heartily and I also chewed tobacco. It was the habit of the acting midshipman in keeping with the universal male habit of the time. However, when I went to the Mediterranean on my midshipman cruise, and found that the British and other foreign officers did not chew, I became convinced that it was a filthy, vulgar habit in which no officer or gentleman should indulge. So I declared that I would chew no more. It required a good deal of fortitude to overcome this habit, more, I think, than to give up smoking." but i kept my pledge to myself and never took another chew after i had made up my mind on the subject the 15 in my class who were finally graduated were well grounded the things that we knew we knew well this has always been the character of annapolis which fashions a definite type of man for a definite object in life The relentless examinations permit of no subterfuge of mental agility and no superficial familiarity with a variety of subjects to take the place of exact knowledge of a limited number of subjects i think i may say that no four years course in any institution gives its students more in mind and character than the school from which the officers of our navy are drawn end of chapter 2.